think that a lot of financial services products that have you know, really put complete control, transparency, and instant gratification in the hands of, of any consumer has, again, made a huge difference in the world of financial services. In our modern time, people have uh, a lot of money, but uh, people don't have enough time. So while looking on a new product, we have to try to simplify it and uh, improve uh, user experience. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. And today we're trying to answer the question, how do you effectively launch a fintech product? And to illuminate this topic, we are joined by Star's very own Vladimir Bort, who is a product manager here at Star, and a very special external guest. We have Michael Rolf, the CEO at Monovate. And so the question is, how do we effectively launch fintech products? And in this episode, we dig into an individual launch that both Michael and Vladimir had participated in separately, and we pull out the learnings to try and understand how you can effectively launch your fintech product. We also then dig into how to build remarkable fintech products. So let's jump into that right now. And the first voice you'll hear will be that of Michael. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. Today, we're exploring the process of launching fintech products. And we're joined by our very own Star expert, Vladimir Bort. Vladimir, welcome to the show. Hi. And we're also joined by an extra special external guest, Michael Rolf, CEO of Monovate. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to jump right in and get like specific. But before that, I'm also going to let each of you do a quick 30-second intro. So, Vladimir, over to you. Hello, everyone. My name is Vladimir. I'm a product manager in Star. Right now, I am actively involved uh, in uh, fintech products and help uh, delivery teams to implement financial solutions in the best way. Also, I participate in pre-sales and uh, discovery initiatives related to uh, fintech domain. Honestly, during my career, I covered uh, a lot of various uh, financial products and startups. So I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. And Michael. Hi, I'm Michael, um, CEO of Monovate. Uh, by background, I guess I can qualify as a fintech entrepreneur now, having spent the last uh, 10 years in and around our uh, our industry, starting off life at Anthemus as as a as entrepreneur in residence. Principal role there was to help invest in promising startups, and it was whilst doing that that I met a couple of co-founders, and we went on to create a company called YoYo, which over the sort of next seven years uh, managed to you know do some pretty interesting things in the world of mobile wallets and payments, and ended up exiting that in 2020 and spent the last couple of years helping the company that acquired Yo-Yo, which is a company called SaltPay, to launch itself uh, quite substantially in the market. And I'm now away from that world and, as I say, CEO of Monovate. And I'm also an investment partner at another venture firm called RockSalt. We have a specialist focus on DeFi and crypto. Amazing. All of those companies are going to be linked below from wherever you're listening to or watching this episode. So as I mentioned, I want to 
start off the episode by trying to get specific about a launch that each of you have been involved in it. And Michael, I want to come to you first, if possible, to choose, I guess it could be or one of the companies that you actually were working in, or it could potentially be a portfolio company. But I'd love to talk about a launch of a fintech product. And I just want to break it down to understand like what happened, what went well, what didn't go so well, potentially. Yeah, sure. So I'll go back to Yo-Yo, because that's probably the more intimate experience. Mm. So Yo-Yo's concept was really born in 2013 with a launch early 2014 at Imperial College. And just the quick principles of Yo-Yo was that back then, this was pre-Apple Pay and Google Pay, et cetera. The inspiration was what Starbucks had achieved with their coffee app and what Tesco's had achieved with their club card. So, you know, the, the sort of idea was that if you could put the ability for somebody to use their phone to pay and whilst paying be immediately recognized at the point of sale in terms of who they are and what they're buying, you could reward them seamlessly. And so, you know, obviously, as any founder, when you come up with an idea, you know, there's no one more in love with your idea than you. <laughs> so, you know, you just have this innate belief that you've solved a real, real problem that the world didn't quite realize it had. But what you then find is that once you launch, is, is, is that actually you need to really tell people about what it is you've done. And so Imperial College was that environment for us. And so outside of the technical of, you know, getting a mobile wallet that had a, you know, secure dynamic QR code that somebody could, you know, use to be scanned at the point of sale, as well as have an account facility that they could top up at that time with, you know, a form of payment method and have an integration into the point of sale system. You know, we sort of discovered we're building both consumer products and infrastructure products at the same time. You know, you realize that, you know, there's no better way to do that than to have essentially a very tight deadline within which you work because you eliminate all procrastination. And it's just about purely focusing on what is the priority that you need to focus on in order to know that you can go live on a certain date. And that really sort of brought sharp focus to the minds of us when we were doing that back in those early days. And then separate to that, you know, making sure that we technically have something that's going to work at the point of sale is to know that you're going to have some users using it. And so, of course, having the consumer end of the product, you know, and it being in a closed environment, that really meant being sort of quite boots on the ground type of approach. And I personally probably worked at Imperial College for about six to nine months when we first started and would have absolutely you know no exaggeration pitched the concept of why somebody if you was a student or, or a faculty member at imperial college why you'd want to use yo-yo and i probably pitched in excess of three thousand people you know day after day up and down the atm queues they had at lunchtime oh, wow and so you know the short answer to the question of you know what does it take I mean, at the beginning there it's like you know it just takes a level of extreme extreme focus and unabated belief to get something off the ground and you find that you're not you're willing to do anything and everything at that point to to show that what your idea is has got some value. So the deadline you set, like how did you did you like look at the product roadmap and we're like, we need to build this by the deadline and therefore set the deadline as that, or was there some other pressure for the deadline? So so actually there's kind of there's two parts. I mean, there, there's kind of the arbitrary deadline that was set around the environment, which is that there are only so many weeks of a year that people are at university. And, you know, therefore, there's no better time to launch than at the beginning of a new academic year. 
So that that kind of set deadline number one. In order to hit that, we we actually worked with a third party and licensed some software off the shelf and put something very, very, very clunky together that was not in any way, shape or form a polished front-end consumer experience. But what we did focus at that point is to make sure that we could integrate into the point of sale. So kind of deadline one was not, wasn't even about the app per se. It was about the infrastructure of can we actually take a transaction? Then once we kind of got that under our belt, we set a second deadline, which was at the start of the second term of that academic year to have effectively migrated all of our test subjects on the consumer app onto our own proprietary platform. So, you know, the best way to describe that is we we chartered a jet. Well, actually not quite a jet. Let's call it. <laughs> we, we chartered, you know, a plane that could at least fly from somebody, i.e. that could provide a wallet and app infrastructure. And whilst that was flying with a set of our customers on board, we designed and built our own airplane, i.e. the app, the Yo-Yo app, that we took off, road tested to make sure that it could actually fly. And then halfway through flight, before the second term started, we transferred mm. all of our passengers from the charter plane onto the Yo-Yo plane. So just to be clear, don't confuse, we didn't build planes. The plane's analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's an analogy. Yeah, exactly. And of course, once we did that, we then quickly transferred them back because we knew it was working. But there were a few things we discovered in the process that needed to be tweaked. And then, uh, you know, as soon as the second term started, we flipped the switch, so to speak. And that was the reason why we had to set sort of the deadline. Got it. I think the key learning there is that you, there was this deadline that meant you had to release something that may not have been like this beautiful user experience, but you, you were testing the fact, I guess, that people actually wanted to use the thing and to do that all you needed was something that would be able to take transactions yeah there were two things that were important to us at the beginning this is 2014 right which which isn't really that long ago but it's a lifetime ago in the world of mobile payment the first thing was we needed to prove that we could actually get a third party system i.e a point of sale to integrate an api that we created for us to be able to do all the magical things around basket data capture and then the second principle we needed to prove was that there were people that were willing to use their phone to pay rather than cash or card. Now, bearing in mind, when we started the journey in 2014, 90% of all transactions at Imperial College were cash. So, um, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So the principle is, I guess, know, know exactly what it is you are you need to validate in order to justify the existence. We have covered more on the product side now i just want to quickly flip over to marketing and actually finding those people to do the transactions i understand you're in the university but was there anything that you did pre-launch or either post-launch in order to ensure you had people to actually use the thing yeah so pre-launch you know the obvious thing right we zoned you know we, we again we narrowed down our environment to being just one coffee shop in the entire campus and we effectively put an offer out that said, you know, download this app and you're going to get five pounds free. <laughs> so, um, and, and we said it was limited to the first 200 people that signed up because we, we really wanted to control test group. And as part of that, what I then did when we had people signing up is I got in touch with a few of them to ask why they had signed up and, and basically figured out that there's quite a number of them that were going to be obvious evangelists for us because they were really all about the tech and and sort of seeing how the world was changing and recognizing this was happening for the first time in their campus environment. So I then recruited them as essentially evangelists to obviously go out and, you know, 
get their friends on board and all that sort of stuff. Nice. And then once we kind of had gone from being proving the test that we were working to wanting to launch proper, you know, the unique thing was we was a very closed environment. So, you know, all the digital channels, we were, we were everywhere because we were able to work with the student union on getting distribution there. Uh, and then we, I mean, literally. Did they charge you, the student union, or yeah. they were just happy to? Yeah, they charged. I have a whole bunch wow. of stories about student unions. <laughs> I um, took a different approach, which was, you know, because it was, say, we knew that there were, it was all about footfall. Every single coffee shop or canteen or bar, essentially, we littered with all sorts of, you know, traditional above the line marketing. So we had posters up everywhere. We had flyers everywhere. We had point of sale material at every point of sale. I had people running around in t-shirts, you know, it was a real kind of old school type of product launch in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like the, you first just started paying people, but once you got people that were accepted, accepted your money to pay them to promote, you actually went and found out why, found the best ones, and then got them to find you more people. I think that's like definitely a launch strategy that I've never thought of. And it would, I think is super useful for anybody listening. Before we move on to Vladimir's launch story, if you had to select one learning from that launch that's helped you the most with other projects after this one, what do you think that would be? Do the work. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's as simple as that. The success of any launch is... I think by and large determined by the volume of energy that you are putting in at the most critical phase of your company's existence, which is its birth. So, you know, if you're sat there on the weekend wondering why something's not working, but you're off out, you know, doing whatever else you want with your life, the reality is it's not working because of you. So, you know, do the work. It's that's as simple as that. If a great takeaway, a great piece of advice, and it's also liberating as well, because it's not like you need to be more intelligent or these things that maybe you can't achieve. It's just, it's completely within your control. So that is a... Yeah. I mean, and it's a bit, I'm almost a bit, it's a bit counter to the modern zeitgeist of, you know, mental health awareness, right? I'll be very, very clear about it. Like, if you think that that's something you're worried about at that point in time, then you shouldn't have started a company. Got it. Makes total sense. All right. Vladimir, over to you. Can you inform us about a launch that you have been part of then we'll go through the story and also take out the lessons okay so on the top of my head uh, i have a project that i was involved four years ago we implemented uh, a modern digital bank solution that startup provided the possibility to manage uh, fiat and uh, crypto currency wallets in one application so each customer can order a virtual or a physical card, debit card, uh, link it to, for example, crypto wallet or fiat wallet and use it for buying pizza. <laughs> so I like this project because uh, it uh, allows the customer to combine well-known like debit cards and uh, modern blockchain. During this project, we faced uh, a lot of interesting issues. Yeah, And uh, while implementing, I would prompt a lot of uh, research and uh, I really understood that each startup should use like lean startup principles. So uh, you cannot uh, like uh, create some idea and just implement it. You have to check that uh, this feature 
is really required by market. So uh, only from my perspective, there is only one like, correct way. You have to implement uh, MVP with some feature. Uh, after that, you should share it with some focus group or some small group of users. And only after collecting feedback from them, you can guarantee that uh, it's really exactly what the uh, market uh, requires. Can you give a, a specific example of something that you built, got feedback on, and then changed your direction? Okay. Uh, from the beginning, uh, we saw that uh, we have to cover a lot of uh, markets, a lot of regions, a lot of countries. But uh, after rollouting our solution in uh, some regions, we understood that in Africa, so uh, not so many users used our application. Marketing campaign uh, was exactly the same as in Europe, but the uh, market wasn't ready for this solution. So that's why we decided to not uh, to, to switch to, uh, off environment and uh, do not focus on, on that region. It's just one example, but uh, we had like opposite situation. So we created a feature uh, that uh, allowed the user to, to vote, uh, vote and register to, to our solution in not supported regions. So we had some stats. So we knew exactly that a lot of people expected uh, to see our solution in appropriate countries. Something like that. Makes total sense. Was there a, can you talk more about the, the deadline for the launch? Was that something that you guys set or was that, were there external factors that impacted that? Definitely, we see usually expect to launch a product like as soon as possible and uh, make money uh, also as soon as possible. It's life and I think it's relevant to all types of products. Yeah. And from delivery team, it's very important to provide uh, a correct vision uh, how we can implement and roll out uh, MVP. So it, it's very important to have a really professional team from the beginning of the project that can estimate MVP phase, MVP features. Without it, it's almost impossible. So when company or startup uh, tries to implement everything, like a big bank, so it's impossible. So such startup cannot like uh, start successfully. It's my own opinion, but Michael, what do you think about it? I think I was actually going to ask you, um, or make an observation, I guess, which is that you have a more interesting dynamic, which is that, you know, to a large extent, you're working with founders or founding teams or early stage teams that probably have got a pressure in their mind to prove that they can get a product to market. So that, but they may not have any technical experience themselves. And so they're flying a little bit blind. And so that natural friction probably is something that you guys have got very good at managing over time, because obviously it's, you know, it's your bread and butter, you do this quite frequently. <laughs> but I sort of think back to when, you know, I first, you know, Yo-Yo was kind of really the first sort of technical exposure I had to what does it take to, to build from scratch? to launch something and and recognize that I was woefully inadequate from a knowledge point of view as to what does it what does it take you know and of course what you realize is that there's a big difference between MVP and then something that you can scale <laughs> and actually making sure that when you build you know you're willing to lose or, or re redo what your MVP was in order to hit scalability and sort of those two 
sort of phases of play in an early stage, I think a lot of people kind of miss. And it's not necessarily that their idea was bad. It's just they didn't know how to architect for scale. And so, yeah, I think from what I see, because obviously <laughs> Manifate works with you guys, is that you have a very acute awareness of like, you know, scale because it needs to be a business. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I have exactly the same point. So in our project, initially, uh, we selected a monolith uh, architecture. And uh, in some time, when I said, yeah, so we have to scale our solution and we cannot. So it was like a leap of faith. And uh, we decided to change our architecture, technical architecture, from monolith to Microsoft architecture. Yeah, and uh, as you said, we reworked almost everything from the scratch to implement our solution, like scalable. Yeah, so I think uh, it's it's very important to think uh, about such technical details in advance. That's why delivery team, so professional delivery team, should be involved uh, as soon as possible from the beginning of the project. I wanted to go back, Vladimir, to, to your launch example. You were mentioning how the product that you launch with should be as minimal as possible because you need to learn and then improve. So my question is, on that specific project, the crypto at or fiat debit card, do you think the product you launched with was too complex or you had just the right amount of feature in there to be an effective MVP? So right now, I understand that uh, we could uh, uh, do like smaller MVP. Yeah, right now, I understand it. But uh, uh, during the implementing MVP, uh, we saw that, yeah, we have to implement this feature and that feature. So we decided to uh, integrate with bank partner from the beginning, plus uh, we integrated with exchange provider for having the possibility to exchange uh, fiat to crypto and crypto to fiat. Right now, I understand that uh, Initially, uh, we could start without uh, integrating with bank, for example. So initially, we could provide possibility just to create a crypto wallet, uh, create fiat account, and exchange money. So, but in any case, it, it's a successful uh, startup. So we did the correct way. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a Reid Hoffman quote where he says that if you're not embarrassed by the first thing you launch, you're launching too late. Yeah. And so that's the same point you're making there, I think. Final question, Volodymyr, on your launch case study is, what if the one learning from that example that's helped you the most in us projects? I think the most important feature, it was a feature toggle. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that feature allowed us to switch on uh, some new piece of functionality just for focus group and switched off it uh, like immediately. So I try to use uh, this approach like uh, in most of my products now, way it's possible, of course. Interesting. So that's something that you developed just on that product or the first time you implemented that was that on that product. And that's the ability to turn off or on a feature really easily for a specific fo focus group. And then you've been implementing that for all projects since. Yep. Awesome. All right, guys. So that's launching. I want to talk more, I guess, product strategy. Here's a higher level, more strategic question. And this comes from actually my experience. I've been in like marketing for like eight, 10 years. And more recently, as I spend more time in marketing, I actually realized that product, I flip between the two, but I think right now product is more important. And so I've found that if the product you're, you've built is more remarkable, more, more different than the launch or the marketing in general is easier because the word of mouth spreads faster. My question to you guys is, do you have any tips 
or insights on how to design slash build something more remarkable so that when anybody listening comes to the launch is going to be an easier process? So it's, uh, it's an interesting question, actually. You know, so the basis, I guess, sort of that supports where you're thinking is that the product is the most important thing is supported by people like, you know, Bill Campbell, who I think said something along the lines once that, you know, build great products and everything else follows from there, right? And if you, you know, I think various examples of quotes will always be basically, if you've got a great product, everything else is easy and you don't have to sell. If it's a great product, people will buy. So, you know, I think all of the importance for long-term company sustainability and success is that you've got a great product. And that, by the way, can mean different things at different times. You know, a great product around user experience may be the thing you get known for at the beginning, but it may not be the reason why you succeed in the end. And it goes back to sort of this, you know, challenges around scaling and just kind of recognizing that the market you have, you were born into evolves quite rapidly as well. And, and I can think about kind of neobanks as being kind of a great example of, you know, products that were fantastic at launch because they were so new and innovative in their user experience. But, you know, it's not so simple for them anymore, right? So <laughs> building great products is not about how you start. It's about actually the culture of how you, how you work day in, day out for the life of the company. And, and within that, then you kind of get sucked into another layer of detail, which is that product isn't about product management per se. It's actually about the first principles of scalability and knowing, you know, do you have the technical expertise and the technical, the technical people work from the ground up? Because fundamentally about what it is you want to do, but if you've got a product manager that's defining how they want it done, and they don't have the right relationship with somebody technical that really should own the how it's going to be, be done, then that can sort of go go off kilter as well from that point of view. So I think, you know, where I'm centering to in terms of the advice is that I think, you've, you know, as a founder, you've got to recognize not just the skill sets and the characteristics and attitudes of the people around you, but really how they in, how they work as a team. Because everybody will think the role that they play is the thing that makes the difference. And fundamentally, it's not about any one individual. It's about how the team works together. And it's all about the communication. And so, you know, the best advice that I think out there, apart from making sure you build the right things, is that it's the way you build. You've got to have the right culture. And that may mean at times there will be people that you think individually have the right characteristics, the right attitudes, maybe the right skills even. But if they don't play in the team, maybe they're just not for your environment. And so, you know, conversely, maybe you've got somebody that, you know, has got a great attitude and characteristics, but hasn't got the skills. Like I would take that over a person that's got all the skills, but no, not a great attitude. So, you know, that sort of innate focus on the dynamics of your team and therefore the culture. Yeah, it's a great answer. I was kind of looking for the simple hack, but what you're really saying is that you need to build a company that prioritizes innovation and also works really well together. Yes. Got it. Vladimir, over to you. Any advice on building remarkable products? I know you've kind of given us one with the toggle on and off switch for that feature so you can rapidly test new things, but do you have any others? I want to uh, look on this question from a different angle. So what market requires right now? So what people want to have? I think that in our modern time, people have uh, a lot of goods, uh, uh, money, but uh, People don't have enough time. So while looking on a new product, we have to try to simplify it 
and uh, improve for user experience. So uh, our customers, like startup customers, has to be sure that solution is uh, pretty easy and uh, all actions uh, will not require extra time or a lot of time. So just an example, 10 years ago, so if uh, if you want to like uh, receive some loan, so how much time uh, did it take for receiving a loan? Okay, how many days? So right now, right now, you should just uh, download application, fill in application form and click one button. And new decision making engine uh, will make a decision just immediately. So it's time. So it's exactly what, what should be on the top for all modern startups. I think it's the best like suggestion. Try to save uh, customer's time. Nice, nice. From a different angle, it makes total sense because maybe you can have two products that do the same thing, but one does it in a day, one does it in 10 minutes. That product's going to be a lot more remarkable. Yeah. Awesome. Now, guys, I want to close out with a question that we actually finish every episode of Shine with, and it's how do we think that launching effective or launching fintech products better is going to make the world a better place. You're kind of getting this, you know, two different tracks to that in my mind, right? The first is there is there's been a world of woefully underserved people with access to financial services. So anybody that has built a financial product that has enabled greater access to financial services has made a difference. You can look at that from a point of view on a sort of holistic global basis. If there's been you know, a market, you know, if you take someone like uh, Kenya and M-Pesa, right? Sort of one of the true mobile payment success stories. I'm not talking about smart mobile payments either. You know, that brought a wonderful world of inclusion to financial services in a way that just hadn't existed until M-Pesa came along. And it's in the second track is, you know, there's obviously then the established customer that somebody that's not had problem accessing financial services, which normally basically boils around to, do you have a bank account or not? And you know, there you do look at the smartphone, right? Which is the ultimate, the ultimate product, right? That's truly remarkable because it has changed everything about our world around us. And what that translated to in terms of financial services is this recognition, old infrastructure of physical world, by definition, was what was holding us back. And, and then the thinking around how you service the customer was based around the idea that they have to come to you. And I think that a lot of financial services products that have you know, really put complete control, transparency, and instant gratification in the hands of, of any consumer has, again, made a huge difference in the world of financial services. So, as I said before, uh, I mentioned time, but uh, right now, for people, very important a quality of services, quality of support. So, everyone wants to have the best product, the best service. And in case of any questions, customer should be sure that support will help like immediately. So financial services, financial startups usually uh, take care about uh, this like product side. And uh, customer like no no customers know that uh, support team will answer all on all their questions like immediately so it's like another level of services i, I think in such way 
God, it makes total sense. So there's a couple of things that I picked out from your guys' answers. The first of which with Michael's blunt but very important advice for anybody launching a fintech product is simply to do the work. And if things are not working, then maybe it's because you're not doing enough work. And then, Ronomy, of your point about to make a product more remarkable, one angle maybe to focus on UI specifically on reducing the amount of time that somebody has to take in order to achieve what they're trying to achieve. So I believe we have added some value. We've given some good advice on launching FinTech products for any founder, CEOs, or anybody within marketing or involved in the launch of a FinTech product. In this episode, I want to thank you both for your time and your expertise. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for tuning into that episode. So in answer to the question, how do you launch? How do you effectively launch fintech products? I think there were two clear points. The first of which came from Michael, which is really, really simple. It's just to do the work. And if you're sat there at the weekend, not sure why things aren't working, it potentially will be because you're not actually doing the work. And then I love Vladimir's insight into an effective way of building a more remarkable product which will lead to a more effective launch is to understand how you can save a user time specifically by optimizing the user interface so i think we answered that question and i hope this episode helps you with launching your fintech product i want to give a massive shout out to vladimir product manager star and also a massive shout out to michael and monovate for coming onto this show in order to share their wisdom and of course thank you so much for listening